Amen. You guys can take a seat. It's so uh, great to see all of you guys. It's been a little while since I've been, uh, been at the Silverton location. It is good to spend this day with you. I recently uh, completed an Ironman. I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give an example. There's something called sighting, okay, that I didn't know. Swimming is like the worst part of the training, let me tell you. I do not like swimming. I had to use a snorkel in order to figure out how to breathe while swimming at the same time. They don't let you use a snorkel at the Ironman. Uh, and, and the reason why I think I hated the time, putting in time uh, for the swimming part, it's the one part you cannot listen to music and you cannot have conversations. I trained with my wife, and that time with my wife was, my, was the favorite part. But when she's just in the lane next to me and all I hear is blub, 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 for like 45 minutes, I'm like, I'm done. I just don't, I looked into like waterproof headphones so that I could listen to music. I just needed something. I have a hard time with silence. But sighting comes into play when you don't have that center line in the pool. You need to look up in order to find the next buoy. In training, I was training at Turner Lake. I would need to look up to see if I was going to run into a fishing pole or uh, another little like paddle board or a kayak or something and make sure that I'm swimming in, in a straight line. I don't swim in a straight line because I can only breathe out of the left side, so I'm constantly kind of pulling to the right. And so I need to sight to make sure that I'm uh, going on track. And... and in, in some ways, I mean, Tim made the joke about uh, still being in chapter 1 in Ephesians. Uh, we are kind of plumbing the depths of Ephesians here. We want to glean all that he has for us. Paul, yes, but the Holy Spirit, most importantly. We want to dive into every single one of these words, and we, we sometimes will just be, as a teaching team, we'll be so blown away or amazed by a single verse that we'll just stop. And that's kind of what's happened here in verse 18 and 19. The three what's is called by uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see three different things. Okay? And so what, what I want to do though as we're, as we're plumbing the depths of this Ephesians chapter 1 passage verses 18 and 19 is I want to cite Sighting is while you're swimming, you look up to make sure that you're on track. I want to sight in Ephesians. I want to take a big picture view. I want to make sure that we understand where it is that we're heading to. I was in Hawaii, and, and, and you, can, you can go snorkeling. I could snorkel for hours. In fact, one time I got so burnt uh, because I, just, I, I wanted to see more, and I wanted to see. Uh, I, I didn't want to stop, and my back just got completely fried. Worst burn I've ever had in my life. But I, I just didn't want to stop. And, and, and what can happen as you're looking around is you can drift in the current. And if you don't ever look up, you don't realize that you're not in the area where you started. Okay? So both of those things kind of serving as a metaphor. As we're diving into Ephesians 1, let's not make them mean what they don't mean. Let's let them have the context they're intended to have. And so I want to cite forward to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 gives us where Paul is heading to. The first three chapters are some things you need to think, and the second three chapters are some things that you need to do. 
He does it intentionally in this order. He doesn't start with what you need to do. He doesn't start with what you need to live. He, needs, he starts first with what is it you need to know? What is it you need to understand? Who, who are you? Who is God? What has God done? You need to know these things because what's coming for us, where we're headed, what we have in our sights, the next buoy that we're swimming to, it might take us a couple years or maybe a couple weeks, I don't know, is this verse here, four, verse, uh, 4 verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner, therefore, is all the first three chapters, therefore, wrapping up all the things I said in the first three chapters, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We're going to do some walking. You're going to walk in the manner worthy of your calling. God called you to walk. This is your purpose. There is a power to the gospel and there is a purpose of the gospel. There is a power to your salvation and a purpose for your salvation. You were made to be into the image of Christ for a reason. This is not just personally your benefits. It is for some walking. We're going to do some walking by the Spirit. I did that last time I was here. The the square is smaller here, so I, I fall off sometimes. We should maybe, the flags, maybe get a little flag, a little thing here, a sign maybe, dangerous, approaching the edge. We have, we do have some walking coming. We are going to be walking, and we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and we're going to get to that. I promise you, and in fact, you can read ahead in your Bibles. You guys don't have to read at the same pace that we're preaching. You can read ahead in Ephesians. You can cite yourself, and you can see, where are we going? Because what Paul is saying is, in order to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, there's some things you need to know. Before you ever do anything in your Christian faith, before you ever walk by the Spirit, there are some things you need to know about who God is, what he's done for you. And in fact, something needs to happen to you. It says that the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened. This is something that happens to you. You can't work on this. You can't polish the lens on your heart's eye. It has to be enlightened for you. Paul is praying that the hearts, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know three things. Three things. That, that Paul needs, to, needs you to know that, that you can only know when the eye of your heart is enlightened. It says in verse 18, I'm not sure how this, oh, it must have been wind or something. Here we go. Uh, what's this? Somebody's? I'll set it right here. Here we go. Uh, in Ephesians uh, 1, verse uh, 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's, oh, I didn't know about that. Now I know about that. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Okay. So, uh, 18 says... Uh, uh, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which... He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Did you hear the three what's? The three things that we need to know. One, the hope of his calling. Two, the riches of his inheritance. And three, the power, the greatness of his might 
the power that he is, that is toward those who are saved. It is the hope, the riches, and the power. Now, we can find hope, riches, and power in a number of different ways. Now, it, you don't have to be religious in order to understand this. Think of it this way. If, if you have like these um, the, the moral visions, you, you basically have an idea of what life is all about. Everyone has, has staked their life on something. This is what my life is about. Here's what's, we call it things like personality and temperament. Like, this is what I'm about. You're different than me. Uh, but, but in reality, we all have value systems. They're formed and shaped through experiences. Ultimately, we, we kind of maybe are led to in some degree uh, or decide or are influenced or discipled in some way. You don't have to be at church to be discipled. You are being discipled all of the time. What, who is your discipler? Who's leading you? Who's guiding you? How did you arrive at your worldview? Now, uh, Mark Sayers, a social commentary uh, commentator, uh, will uh, point to four different areas that uh, chances are uh, you will fit into one of these four categories. This will be kind of your, your moral values, the what life is all about, okay? Uh, the first one is hedonism, okay? Hedonism, kind of an old, older term. This is like uh, life is all about experiences, having fun, getting the most joy out of things, uh, 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 like seeing this place and experiencing that thing. This is, this is me. This is my category. Uh, definitely trying to get the most joy out of, out of every single thing. And for the hedonist, the sin... I'm not talking in like religious terms here. I'm not talking about church. Like the sin, the thing that's opposed to uh, the hedonistic worldview is anyone who would tell me that I should, that, that uh, anyone who would get in the way of me enjoying something, okay? This is the wet blanket. This is the, uh, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not safe. This is the drugs are bad, okay? And the, like this guy who's telling you that uh, you, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Like the sin is, is standing in the way of my pursuit of pleasure. Who are you to tell me what is good and right and wrong? Well, who that person is is the second view. That's the moral, the, the, the moral uh, or morality moral vision, okay? This person is trying to do good in the world, okay? The, the, uh, what, is, what is good for humanity, okay? This, this would be um, increasingly more religious. There's always somebody who's going to have not only the Black Lives Matter flag in their yard, but they've also got the pride flag, and they've got the, you know, LGBTQ, and they have more, more letters and more initials because they're actually, like, more good, more moral uh, than, than you are, right? There's like a, uh, yeah, like, there is this level of morality and doing good. There is now this level, right? Like, I'm even more moral than you because I care about the goodness uh, of people. The sin, of course, is, is anyone who's opposed to you and your ideal, right? So these are kind of going on simultaneously. You could see how these are at war with each other, right? And so we found the, the solutions for these, like, like what, uh, what, what a perfect world would look like, if we put this back in the lens of the, um, the hope, uh, riches, power uh, spectrum, Picture hope is like, here's what we want, okay? Here's, here's kind of the idealized world. The, the riches are, here's how we would describe it. 
If you're gonna, if you're gonna say you're hoping for something, you gotta describe what it is, what it look like when you get there. And the power is the means by which to accomplish it, okay? So you have hope, you have, uh, you have riches, you have power. Those are found right here, okay? Hope, riches, power. The third category, uh, according to social commentator Mark Sayers, is, the, is, is therapeutic, okay? It really should, it, it sh it's about safety, it's about peace, and it's about calm, and the sin, sin for the therapeutic worldview is uh, anyone who would make me feel bad, or make me feel unsafe, or feel triggered, okay? And so, uh, this, is, this is the person who, uh, you know, an idealized world would be uh, kind of perfection around uh, safety and, and tolerance uh, and, and respect. Uh, there isn't necessarily a defined good. It's more about what it is that you're feeling. Uh, and so uh, the, final one, the final one is a nihilism, okay? Not a nihilism. It's a nihilism. So nihilism is the moral worldview that says, we're screwed. This place is all going down. Uh, there's no hope. Corruption is everywhere. Uh, I've got to just find escape. The metaverse cannot come fast enough. I cannot find enough uh, uh, doomsday prepping uh, sites and materials fast enough because it's all going down, right? Nihilism is where we end up after moralism. We tried to do good. It can't happen. The world is too corrupt. Nihilistic worldview. What's really interesting about this right now is each one of them have their hope, what it is that they want to see. They have their, their riches, how they would define what it looks like. And they have their power, the means by which it would happen. But none of them are, are satisfying for them. You see, each one of these have a, bit of phys, a, 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 a little bit of truth, don't they? We attach to them because they have a little bit of truth. Heden, John Piper calls himself a Christian hedonist because he's so hard after the joy that comes from being in a relationship with God. He wants nothing else. His pursuit is a joy in God, and God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, and that is his pursuit in life. And I attach myself to that because I'm somebody who will settle for earthly, passion, or earthly pleasures when, when like glorious pleasures, eternal pleasures, pleasures are available to me in God. I don't want to settle for some mere experience or vacation. I've got God available to me, okay? So there's some truth in a hedonistic viewpoint. It is about that, but it's also about morality, but it's God's morality, God's definition of holiness. See, it's also about the therapeutic, isn't it? There's some, there's some biblical truth in that. God is the great comforter. He's the healer, he does provide peace for us, and, and he does provide safety for us. So that you would identify with the therapeutic, it's good. You're wearing the image of God. And the nihilistic, you say, how would that be biblical? The, the reality is, you're right in your assessment. The world is broken. The world is going to end. Death wins in every single category. Nothing seems to last. If you fix something for a second, it's plate spinning, and that plate wobbles, and then you've got to focus on that other plate. It seems to never be fixed. Corruption is everywhere. We're in becoming increasingly sinful. The world is breaking down. All of creation is groaning, and so the nihilist is right. It's just their solution is wrong. You see, every single one of these are kind of like a power adapter 
You see, we have a power inside of us. See what this says. I want to connect to the text here. It says in verse 19, remember that this is, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to back up to 15, get a little bit of sighting, make sure we're still right where we, we, we said we were going to be. In verse 15 it says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So who's he writing to? People who already have faith. He's writing to you, believer. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, this message is for you. Paul is praying, what? That the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. Believers, we need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Our eyes have grown dim. We fail to see it. Something needs to happen inside of us. This is not just salvation, guys. He's saying this to those who have already received the miracle, the powerful, miraculous salvation of Jesus. Their lives have changed. They've gone from dead to life. But there still remains one problem. I don't know if this is an ongoing, it keeps slipping into it, or or it, it seems to be that we continually need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened And Paul doesn't try to use words in order to make this happen. He's saying he's praying that it happens because he knows that the only way it will happen is by God himself. He's praying that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened to know what? Hope, the riches. But I'm I'm focusing on this verse here in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power the immeasurable consider immeasurable uncontainable immeasurable like can't be confined it can't be defined the extent to which this power is 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 vast beyond comprehension and understanding. This power is what Paul is praying that the the eyes of your heart would see. That you would know. And this knowing, it says in chapter 3, is a knowing that surpasses knowledge. So we can't just simply be thinking about in terms of the way that Pastor Brian preached last week, a knowledge about God, or that wasn't last week, maybe that was two weeks ago, a knowledge about God, but it's a knowledge of God. Knowing God himself. This isn't the kind of, uh, I know about the power, I'm experiencing the power. Knowing in the way that a husband knows his wife. I'm experiencing the power of God. And it is immeasurable. And it's not something, it's something that we've got to look for, that we have to ask for, that our eyes, the eyes of our heart would would be opened to see and know and experience this power. This power is toward those who believe. I again say, this is not the power that saved you, though some of you may discount the power that saved you. Do you realize the amount of power it takes to regenerate a heart, 
a stone, a, a heart of stone and, and change it into a heart of flesh? Do you realize the amount of power that went into your salvation? If, if you don't know that, then you aren't aware of the power that's available to you now. See, Paul is praying this power of God, this immeasurable power is the power toward believers. Now, why do we need this power? Well, jump ahead in Ephesians 6, we'll get some sighting. Paul's going to start talking about weapons of war, that we'll be engaging with the enemy, the only one more, or uh, the number two most powerful force is evil, it's Satan. We need the power of God to go up against Satan, and that is what is going, that's what's coming in Ephesians 6 when we put on the armor of God. So he's saying you need to understand the power that is towards you, the power that's in you. It's immeasurable, he says. But what kind of power? So if we jump ahead to 20, we look at the metaphor that he uses. He says it's immeasurable. We can't describe it. We can't define it. But it's like something. Now, he could have used creation. Creation is certainly a demonstration of power, is it? Martin Lloyd-Jones says, yeah, but he just merely spoke and it existed. It seems kind of easy for him, right? Creating was kind of easy for him. So maybe that's not the best definition of power. Perhaps it's the, the parting of the Red Sea. Perhaps it's some of the miracles that would be the metaphor for the power of God. That's not the metaphor he uses. It is, in fact, I don't even think it's a metaphor. He's saying the power that I'm talking about, the specific power, the immeasurable power that I'm talking about is, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. It's resurrection power. Apparently, this is the greatest power. If you're going to talk about a demonstration of the power of God, it is the power over death. Everything dies. Anything we could ever do will not last. It all dies. Nothing can reverse the power of death. Nothing can fight against the power of death. Though, though men may try, we have not found any way around death. We can preserve life to an extent, but everything dies. Only resurrection power. Until Jesus, did we not experience the power of resurrection. This is the great power that is toward us. He's saying this is the exact same power that's in you. You've probably heard the song. It's been playing in my head all week. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. I think that's from this section. And it's a good thing because if we jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, and we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're dead. It's a good thing that the power we have is in fact resurrection power. The power that's in us because we were dead. You and I, all of us, before we were made alive, 
We were resurrected. Romans 6 helps us with this. The understanding. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Basically, like, if Jesus has forgiven us, then we can do whatever we want, right? No. It says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death? In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You see, we died like Jesus died. We were dead. We've been We died to our sin, and we are no no longer ruled by our sin. We are now alive. We are now uh, resurrected. We are no longer dead, but we died to sin that we might walk in the newness of life. You're a new creation. If you don't recognize this power, sin will rule you. You will remain in your addiction. You will remain in your your comforts of choice. The resurrection power is the power that will rescue you from your alcoholism. It is the power that will uh, will rescue you from your addiction to pornography. The resurrection power is the power that is moving and shaping and transforming you into the image of Christ. And if you believe that that's somehow your power... You will always hit your head against it. In the book Deeper, Dane Ortland talks about uh, kind of four understandings of this, this idea of being saved and, and, and then how is it that we are, the word is sanctified? How, how is it, do we become like Jesus? How do we walk in the newness of life? How do we walk by the Spirit? Is it under our own power? How do we connect to this power? Dane Ortland says in the book Deeper that a, a very common held belief is a God then me understanding of salvation. God, I, I believe fully, God is sovereign. He saved me. There's nothing I could do uh, to save uh, myself. Obviously, Jesus died on the cross. He saved me. But now that he's saved me, I'm going to get to work on, on changing myself and becoming a better person. That is a God-then-me understanding. God started it, now it's up to me. You will experience frustration. Or if you're successful, you're, you'll experience pride. Look at what I've accomplished. And then you're, you're sinning in the worst sense of the word. Of the word. The next one is a God, not me. Now, this is a great big view of God's sovereignty. God is the one that saves me, and God's God's the one that changes me and sanctifies me. Therefore, all I've got to do is just sit back and enjoy the ride. 
It's true. God is completely sovereign. He saved you uh, despite your rejection of him. He saved you and he is saving you and he is transforming you and he is changing you. But it's this super high view of God's sovereignty and this super low view of human responsibility. So then we maybe move and we grow in our faith and understanding and we realize, oh, it's God plus me. Right? And so if you imagine a circle, it's got a squiggly line down the middle, and God's got about half, and I've got about half. Of course, God is the one that's at work here, and I've got a, but I've got a part. Uh, I've got to believe, and God saves me, and I've got to go to him, and I've got to read my Bible, and I've got to go to church. And, and God, of course, is the one who changes my heart, and he motivates me. And this gets really close to the truth. In fact, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, that is what it is, isn't it? God plus me. Let me offer a fourth solution. God in me. Sometimes we come to these understandings. I know I do. I look at this. I'm like, oh, there it is. And then I read some old Puritan read it or wrote it down 300 years ago. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I didn't have a new idea. This is something that Jonathan Edwards said a couple hundred years ago. He says, we are not merely passive. He's talking about uh, our sanctification, our process of becoming more like Jesus. He says, we are not merely passive in it, nor yet does God do the same I'm sorry, I must have read that wrong. We are, not, we are not merely passive in it, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. I always have trouble with the old English there. But God does all and we do all. Wait, huh? God does all and we do all. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. So that means fully responsible for the way we act and behave, but fully dependent on, on God completely. It's not a sharing, it's a, it's a both, okay? And this is, this is where we will get to. We will get to what it means to walk, what it is to grow, what it is to change. What is this power, this resurrection power that you already have you don't get it. You have it. An illustration I was thinking of. Well, before I get that, I, want, I actually want to support this. Okay? 1 Corinthians, this is going to be real quick. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Wyatt's going to put it up on the screen there. I want you to, to notice the tension here. Okay? This is Paul. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. There's Paul's efforts. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Okay, let's get further into this. Look at Philippians 2, verse 12. Wyatt will put this on the screen as well. Therefore... My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and tre trembling, for it is God who works in you. Who's the one working here? All God, all me. But what's the distinction? How do I differentiate? One more. Colossians 1. 
Verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. That's an interesting choice of words that he powerfully works within me. I'm toiling, I'm struggling with my energy? No. I'm toiling, I'm struggling with all his energy. Somehow I've got to connect to this power. There's power in me that somehow I work out to get that powers me. Some of the, some of the analogies and the metaphors I'm tr- I've been trying to think about, I thought about um, Desiree Hitt's car. Uh, Desra has told me that she really prefers that I use her as an illustration in every single one of my sermons, and I'm batting a thousand so far for Desra. <clears throat> she, <coughs> God's getting me back for what I'm about to do to you. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'll be nice, I promise. So, Desra has a really cool car, okay? It's a plug-in hybrid, okay? So it's different than a typical hybrid, okay? A typical hybrid is you always got to put gas in it, but it found some efficiencies, things like braking, charges the battery, but you can't plug it in. You can't charge the battery. It's the car that charges the battery, okay? And, and, and somehow that works out to be more efficient, okay? A plug-in hybrid means you can pl- charge the battery, but you also got a gas tank, right? So you can't, you, you don't necessarily ever have to use electricity. You could always use gas. In fact, gas is easier, right? Gas is simpler. You pull into a gas station, you fill up the gas tank. What does it take? Three minutes? Four minutes? I don't know. If you could do it yourself, you'd cut the time in half. <clears throat> I'm not going to get political. Uh, but either way, you've got a full tank of gas and you're on your way. This is the biggest concern that people have with electric cars, right? Uh, 45 minutes to charge the battery? I mean, who, like, you're just going to sit there for 45 minutes? But soon you find that there are some pretty great places to charge your car. In fact, you can do it for free. We had Matt and Desiree over uh, to, the, to the winery over by my house, Willamette Valley Vineyards. They have a free charger. You could pull right in. Matt couldn't believe his eyes. He's like, they're just giving this away? Yeah. He just plugs it in. He couldn't believe it. He didn't have to pay. He was charging his car. He got miles for free. And now he's all of a sudden, he's like, okay, I'm pretty into this electricity thing. This is fantastic. I don't have to buy gas, especially now, $6 a gallon, Right? But I get it. I mean, I'm somebody who, uh, in my car, when I hit zero, I start my tripometer because I've learned I can get another 37 miles after it says zero, right? Miles to empty zero. I know I can go another 37 miles, so I just set my tripometer. I can keep going, right? Who's got time to stop? We don't have time, (laughs) right? And I don't know. I haven't asked Desra how often she charges. I know she charges at home, but I know the thought would come into her mind as she's busy about her day, and she puts miles on. That's how they justified the the purchase. They're actually, like, saving money by having this car. Uh, It just takes too much time. I don't have time for that, right? Another thought that I had was, you know how when you have a phone... Uh, and, and the new phone is coming out, the new iPhone's coming out in September, and you, you, you've like been living on the iPhone 8 or whatever, and, and you're like, okay, now, now my phone is, is awful. You check the battery health, and it just, it just like, it coughs and says like, why? Why are you even still trying with this phone? Uh, and the battery like won't last 20 minutes unless it's charged in, charged up. But you don't want to get it now because the new phone's coming out in just a couple of months. So you, you develop these habits. 
You just have to stay connected. You get in the car, you plug in your phone. You know that if you don't, you aren't going to get the battery to get you through the day. You sit down at your desk, you plug in the phone. You wake up in the morning, you make sure that your phone is fully charged. You might use it for a little bit. You'll get a charge before you go. So throughout the day, because it's painful if you don't, you think about every opportunity you have, you connect to that phone. What if this is... What if this is actually the way that we connect to this power source that we're talking about? You see, we, we, we look on Amazon for solutions like power adapters so that everywhere I go with my electric car, I can plug into this thing or that thing. But it's all, like the adapters never work like they say they're going to. You know, converting this power source to that power source. Either they don't fit or you don't have the right one and then you're carrying five different adapters and you get there and and you, it's still not the one that you need in order to plug into that station. I don't know. I don't have an electric car, but I've heard about some of these headaches. What if, what if we had a power cable that was specifically designed to attach to this power source? The power is already inside of us in the form of a battery, but it's got to be charged. You've got to connect to it, right? What if we treated time with God the same way we did on our, on our iPhone with a faulty battery. That when I woke up in the morning, I connected and I said, I need to make sure that I have a charge for this day. I know you feel like you may not have the time for that. But if it's, if it's God in me, and not God plus me, it means that there aren't things that I can do. Jesus says uh, in, in John uh, 15, did I not put that on here? John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You see that the work that we've got to do to create fruit, to bear fruit, is, is to just plug in, to just get connected. Like the thing that Jesus is telling us that we need to do is we need to attach ourselves to the vine. And what power is working? The power of the vine that's rooted into the ground is pouring nutrients through us who are branches. And what happens at the end of our branches? It's fruit. By just plugging in and getting that power source. As we get into our car, maybe, maybe every time we plug in our phone, it's a reminder. Every time I plug in my phone, I'm just going to take a minute. God, I'm here. I'm not going to work. I'm just going to connect. I'm going to know you. What do you have for me? What do you want me to do? What do I need to apologize for? God, I know you're here on this drive. And what's happening? I'm connecting to a power that's charging me, a power that's already in me, and now I can operate on this battery, and it's going to change the way that I drive. It's going to change the way that I think about the people as I'm driving. 
And as I sit down at my desk, begin my day of work, I plug in my phone on the connecting, on the dock or whatever, use that as a reminder and say, God, I see you here in my workplace. I want to be a witness for you. Will you guide my steps? You see, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is looking to redeem your workplace and your work relationships. But we've got to connect to that power. It's not, I'd love to tell you it's just pray and read your Bible, right? That's the solution, pray and read your Bible. But that's God plus you. You've got to know God. How do you know God? Praying and reading the Bible. But it's not, it's not pray to get the power. It's pray to know God. Like you can make an adapter that's praying and reading the Bible and going to church and tithing and serving. And it's an adapter. You don't know God. You know about God. Paul is praying that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened to know the immeasurable greatness of the power of God that is towards you. If you knew it, if you knew it, you would be walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which he's called you. That's coming. Here's what we got to know in order to do that. Let's spend some time picturing the face of Jesus, knowing and experiencing God, plugging in, connecting to that power. We're going to take communion now. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. Or I don't know, how, what do you guys do now? Is it still forward? Yeah, okay, cool. Communion is an opportunity to plug in. There's not something you have to do. There's not something you have to say. It's, I'm here. God, speak to me. Remind me of your love. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and just stand up right where you are and come and grab. There's two cups. One cracker, one juice. Take this time. You're not going anywhere. Picture your, your Desra Hits sitting at the winery, enjoying the view, getting that free power. Man, we, we run on empty. We hit zero and we reset that tripometer and we just keep on driving. Nobody's got time to sit, enjoy a view, and be recharged, and know God. Well, let's take this time. Here's, here's a time that we can plug in. Let's think about Jesus and what he's done. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Just take the cracker. It represents the body. The juice, it represents his blood. 
Will you pray with me? God, forgive us. We act like we're asking you to teach us how to not need you. As if your, your, your goal is to make us self-sufficient. God, we don't want a power adapter. We don't want to add a gas tank. We want to we connect to the power of resurrection. We need resurrection in our lives. You've told us we already have it. Will you, will you help us to be less distracted, less hurried? We would take time throughout our day to, to recognize you as our power source, the greatest power. God, we worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.